Mm, Father, those songs, Lord. This truly is your world. You are the lion and the lamb. Because this is your world, and because you are its ruler yet, it can be well with our souls. Mm, Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Lord, we have sung of your greatness. We have proclaimed your character, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your rule, and your majesty in song. And Father, we turn our attention now to your holy and perfect word. God, we ask, as humbly as we know how, Lord, that in spite of a foolish speaker, Lord, you would speak. That, Father, my words would be stopped and yours would flow forward. That even now, Lord, we would worship you through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. God, would you move through your word by the power of the Spirit. To convict us where we need to be convicted. To challenge us where we need to be challenged. Father, as uncomfortable and as painful as it is sometimes, God, I need Your Word to continuously convict and challenge me. Father, but also help this morning through the power of Your Word to comfort those who are hurting, to strengthen those who are weak, to encourage those who are discouraged, Lord. Father, we so desperately love and need you. We ask that you move amongst us during this time. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. Woo! Man, Jason. The Lord uses you, my brother. Golly. It's good stuff this morning. It's good stuff. If your heart wasn't stirred, I'm, I'm curious about your heart. It's hard to pull it back together. But man, good stuff, brother. Thank you for leading us to the throne of grace. This morning, we're going to continue in our sermon series through Exodus. And last week, we took a, a very specific look at Exodus chapter 5. Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, Let my people go that they may go to the wilderness, that they may worship the Lord with a feast, that they may worship the Lord. Let them go. And Pharaoh's response is, you are idle. That's why you ask to go. That's why you're asking to go and to worship. Because you got, you got too much time on your hands. You, you got too much free time. We can fix that. We, we can resolve that issue. So Pharaoh issues a decree and says, no more straws to be given to the Hebrews. They have to come up with their own straw from wherever they can find it. But they're going to make the same number of bricks that they've always made. And so Pharaoh communicates this to the taskmasters. And you remember that Pharaoh tries to, to duplicate, to mimic, to imitate the way that Moses and Aaron speak to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord. Thus says Yahweh, the one true living God. And so Pharaoh speaks to his taskmasters and they go to the foreman of the people and they say, Thus says Pharaoh, king of Egypt. As though that holds more weight in some way than what the Lord God of heaven says. And so then there's, there's turmoil. The, the foreman, they come to Pharaoh. And remember that, that conversation between you, yourself and your boss. But, but really, boss, it's your fault that I can't do my work. 
And that doesn't go over very well with Pharaoh whatsoever. So this morning, we're going to pick up after the foremen have come back to Moses and to Aaron. After they've spoken to them and said, why would you do this? I thought that you were coming to set us free. The elders and the people, they still believe, but the foremen of the people have sown seeds of negativity and doubt that have spread through all of the Israelites. And after 400 years of slavery, it doesn't take a whole lot of negativity to send them spiraling down into discouragement and depression and despair. And so now that their workload is harder, now that things have become more difficult, even though Moses thought for sure, I'm doing what the Lord asked me to do. I'm right in the middle of His will. I'm following His instructions and His commands. Still, the Lord has not yet delivered them or responded as Moses expected. So we're going to pick up this morning in Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Then we'll move into chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it once again and turn to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. So it's just right there after Genesis. We'll be in Exodus chapter 5, and then we'll move into Exodus chapter 6. You feel free, as Jake said earlier, to use your own paginated text, your own book, your own tablet, your own phone, or Follow along on the screens, but however you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would encourage once again, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's Holy Word. As we look together now at Exodus chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, we'll read through verse 13. The Word of the Lord says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. 
So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we come to this passage this morning, unlike last week, this is an extremely encouraging passage, if we'll let it be that. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself in in the downward spiral of discouragement. And even a passage this uplifting, this hope-filled, can take me to a place where I just don't want to be encouraged. You don't have to raise your hand, but, but maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you've been there where you're so disheartened or you're so discouraged that you just want to stay discouraged. You become depressed in some way, and, and you kind of get used to the depression almost. It's almost become something of a security blanket for you. And so even when you get glimmers of hope, even when you get glimmers and rays of sunshine, you want to stay in the dark. I liken it sometimes similar to when the sun shines and you, you wake up in the morning and you throw open your window and morning's here, the morning's here. It's beautiful. It's great. The glorious sunshine is coming in, but you just aren't feeling it. So you take those curtains, those beautiful blackout curtains that you bought, and you close them back and you crawl back into bed because I just can't do it today. I just can't handle the sunshine today. Sometimes we feel like that. And we find the people of Israel in a very similar state. These words of encouragement that God gives to Moses and Moses gives to these people, they're going to have very little effect. But see, what's what's coming is that God's going to put action behind His words. He's not just going to say encouraging things. He's going to start performing miracles and mighty acts in front of Pharaoh and in front of the people. And the people's hope is going to start to stoke. It's going to start to build into a glorious flame, a bright, vibrant hope that they're going to go, Hey, I think God might get us out of this. I think God's really going to rescue us. I think this is really going to happen. But where we start in this passage is still down in the dumps. And where we end in this passage, the people of Israel are still down in the dumps. So your opportunity this morning is to listen to the promises of God and choose to be encouraged by what God has said to the Israelites and to us, or we can be just like the Israelites and just like ourselves sometimes. We can hear the encouragement of how our God will act and choose to still be depressed. Choose our despair over God's hope. And choose to see the negativity in this world and cling to it as opposed to seeing the light of the Gospel and the beauty of Christ and cling to Him. So let's look at where this passage begins. Moses calls out to God and and man, this bold prayer once again, this bold communication to God. I did what you said, Lord, and Pharaoh made it harder and the people didn't believe me. And then we get to chapter 6. And the Lord speaks once again to Moses. The patience of God with Moses. 
He lives up to what He tells us. He is slow to anger. He is filled with steadfast love and kindness and mercy and patience. At this point in time, God probably should have just burned Moses up and started over with somebody else. At this point in time, God should have just picked a new set of people that would actually believe and follow Him. But His patience continues. Have you ever been in that place where you just know somebody's having to be real patient with you? I, maybe y'all, I'm, I'm a real annoying and obnoxious person. And so I've been there quite a few times, especially with my wife, you know. I just know, man, I'm glad God gifted her with patience. This is, this is very needed right now. God shows this kind of great patience with Moses and just reassures him right from the get-go. With a strong hand, I will bring them out. And then reminds Moses... This is, this is a mirror image. This is a doublet of what we saw in Exodus chapter 3. He revealed his name to Moses and his name carries a lot of weight. His name reveals his character and his nature like we talked about at length. And so God gives the greatest reassurance he can give to Moses by restating this is my name. But we kind of run into a little bit of trouble. If you, if you're real close, if you pay real close attention to your Bible, it, a lot of people point out this passage and they call it a contradiction straight up. This is, this is a, a disconnect in the Old Testament. We're only two books into the Bible and the Bible's already contradicting itself. That's, that's what some people would say because in verse three, he says, but by my name, the Lord. Alright? Remember, that's, that's the Lord with the all caps, okay? It's, it's the Lord where it's the name Yahweh. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So as we talked about the names of God, he says that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he revealed himself as El Shaddai, the God of the mountain, the God of mountains of power, the God Almighty. That's how he revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Well, you might be thinking, oh, okay, all right, well, maybe God just didn't tell them that specific name. You know, he, he was reserving that for Moses. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good assumption, except we, we look back in passages like Genesis fifteen seven, where he says to Abraham directly, a direct quotation of God to Abraham, and the Hebrew is, Ani Yahweh, I am the Lord. And it's the, the name Yahweh, like the name that the Lord just said, I did not make myself known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That happens in, in Genesis fifteen seven, And so you're thinking, well, it's just, it's just one verse. And Moses wrote it, so, so maybe. But see, it happens again in Genesis twenty two fourteen, And then it happens again in Genesis twenty four thirty five, And then in chapter 24, verse 35, verse 40, verse 42, verse 48, verse 50, verse 51, verse 56. In Genesis 26, 22, 27, 20, 49, 18. That many times God says to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, Ani Yahweh, I am the Lord. Like the Lord, all caps, the name Yahweh, the, the tetragrammaton that we talked about. So what's happening? Scripture doesn't contradict itself. If, you, if you're a person of faith, I mean, we, we believe that the Bible is true and perfect and inerrant. So there's got to be some explanation, right? No, there is. And it makes a lot of sense. Remember how much is carried in the name of the Lord. Alright? The character and nature of God are revealed through His name. 
So God's not saying, I didn't tell them my name. It's one thing to know somebody's name, right? It's another thing to know that person personally, all right? Like, I can know who Tim Day is, all right? I can know that he is a surgeon, but I know Tim very well, and, and really Tim knows me very well, because there have been a couple medical procedures that I've had to go to Tim for, And so it's not just that I know who Tim is. It's not just that I know Tim's name. It's that I have a deep relationship with him. And he has a relationship with me. He knows me and I know him. But I still probably don't know him as well as Melinda does, who works with him every day, right? Who's there in his office every day. There's a different level of knowing someone. We see this in the book of 1 Samuel. So when, when we read in 1 Samuel, in chapter 2, in verses 18 and, and 30, and, and verses 18, and then chapter 3, verse 1, we're told that Samuel increased in favor both with the Lord, the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and also with men. But then later in the book of 1 Samuel, we're told that Samuel did not yet know Yahweh. So he's increasing in favor with Yahweh, but he does not yet know him, but but he knew of Yahweh. He was serving in the temple with Eli. He, he knew who Yahweh was. But then came the night where the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel. And he ran to Eli and he said, hey man, what you need? Eli said, I, I ain't call you. Go back to bed, boy. So he goes back to bed and he hears, Samuel, Samuel. And then he runs back into Eli. Dude, seriously, just tell me what you need. I've got it. I will get it for you. And Eli goes, you go back to bed. And if it happens again, you say, yes, Lord, yes, Yahweh, yes, God. And so he goes back to bed. He hears Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel goes, yes, Lord. And a new aspect of their relationship began. He began to know God in a more intimate and personal way. God was God Almighty to Abraham. He was God Almighty to Isaac. He was God Almighty to Jacob. But He was not the same God who would deliver them out of the hands of Egyptian slavery. The act of the Exodus, everything that happens in this book, is a new revelation of how God can relate to humanity. He's never done anything like this before. So what he's saying to Moses is that I'm revealing myself to you. You will know the Hebrew word yada. There's so much that's carried in that word. You will know me unlike the way that Abraham knew me, unlike the way that Isaac knew me. You will know me. And then he backs it up. He backs it up because he says, I'll I'll reveal myself to you in a special way. And Moses, before he can even say, well, what's that way, Lord? What do you mean? You go, what are you, you, you going to do different? I don't understand, Lord. Before Moses can say a word, we get seven promises. Did you catch the seven promises that God makes to Moses and to the people of Israel? God is a promise keeper. He does not break His promises. And He makes seven promises beginning in verse 6. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. We've moved to verse 7 now. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. Verse 7. I will bring you into the land. Verse 8. And I will give it to you for a possession. Verse 8. God reassures Moses and reassures the people of Israel, 
I know that Pharaoh made it harder. I know that you feel like you were in the middle of my will and you were doing what I told you to do and things got worse, not better. But here's what I have for you, Moses. Here's what I have for you, Israel. Here's what I have for you, Bethany. I will bring you out of Egypt. I will deliver you from these Egyptians. I will redeem you. I will buy you back. I will purchase you at whatever cost it is to me. I will buy you from the Egyptians. And even prophetically, I will buy you from your slavery to your sin. I will buy you back. I will redeem you. I'll take you to be mine. I'll adopt you. You'll be my children. I'll be your father. He will be a father to the fatherless. I will be your God. You won't have anybody else. You won't have to look to anybody else. You won't have to build a statue. You won't have to do anything like that. I will be your God. I'll bring you into a new land. And I will give you that land for your possession. This is how God encourages His children. And you know, it's how God still encourages His children today. You've never heard God make you a promise. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. God still makes promises. God still speaks His promises to us. I mean, like, some of y'all sleep because it's a long weekend, and some of y'all looking at me like I'm just out of my mind crazy. Maybe these promises were more specifically to Israel, right? It's more specific to Egyptian slavery. might not even be right to appropriate that as something for us, right? I mean, you know, maybe the Lord was just giving that to Moses. Maybe it doesn't progress forward and, and apply to us, but God makes us promises all throughout Scripture. He doesn't promise that you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but He does make promises. God gave seven promises to Moses to encourage the people of Israel. This morning, I want to walk you through 12 promises. That's just 12, okay? That's just 12. There are hundreds. I pulled these from a resource that had a list of 50 we could have gone to 50, but we're going to stop at 12. There's significance in the number 7. There's 7 promises. There's significance in the number 12. Alright? Don't put too much in it, but there's significance there. Look with me. I want you to go through your Bible. These are chronological. These are going to start from the Old Testament. They're going to go to the New Testament. I want you to hear what God promises you and me. Every one of these promises is not taken out of context and is applicable to you and to me today, right now. You jot down these verses when you're down in the dumps, when you're in the pits of despair, when depression has grabbed hold of you, when you want to close the curtains back and shut the blinds, when you want to get back in bed, when you can't seem to find the glimmer of hope, remember the promises of God. We're going to start in Second Chronicles, a very familiar verse. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is a promise to God's people. And if you by faith believe in Jesus Christ, in His perfect birth, in His perfect life, in His death, in His resurrection, if you've placed your faith in Jesus in that way, then you are His people. When God says, if my people, if you believe in Jesus, you're those people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear 
from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The same formula as what you saw in Exodus chapter 6. I will redeem them. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. God promises us that if we, His people, who are called by His name, will be humble, if we will pray, if we will seek His face, if we will turn from our wickedness, He will hear. He will answer. He will forgive. These are promises you can take to the bank. Turn with me now to Isaiah. Go more towards the middle of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 to 31. Isaiah 40, 29 to 31. Again, a very familiar passage to many of us, but God promises. This is an overarching promise. This is not a promise just to Bradley. This is not a promise just to Tom. This is not a promise just to Israel. This is a promise to any believer in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Even young men shall fall down exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Isaiah 41. One chapter over. Still in Isaiah. One more chapter over. 41.10. 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. He said, I will be your God. He says to those who believe in Jesus, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Turn a couple more chapters over. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verse 10. Isaiah 54, verse 10. For the mountains may depart. The hills may be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Now turn with me to the New Testament. One of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16. You may not have realized it the number of times that we hear it. It becomes almost numb to us because we hear John 3.16 so often. But listen to the promise in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes, here's the promise, whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's a promise. Whoever believes in the Son will not perish, but have eternal life. Go just a few more chapters down, John. John chapter 8, verse 36. From John 3.16 to John 8.36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you have experienced the freedom that comes from knowing and walking with and following and trusting Christ, If the Son has set you free, you will be free. Boy, sounds a whole lot like being freed from Egyptian slavery, doesn't it? Only it's being freed from the grip, from the grasp of our flesh and our sin, from the clutches of the prince of the power of this world. If the Son has set us free, we will be free indeed. Romans 8, 28. 
Romans 8, 28. And we know, we know that this promise is true. We know that for those who love God, don't miss that. If you and I love God, if we are His children, if we believe in Christ, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Move now to Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. Romans 10, just another chapter or two over, just maybe a page or so. Romans 10, 9 through 13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There is an eternal punishment and condemnation and damnation that will be foregone for you if you confess with your mouth. If you believe in your heart, there is a promise attached to it. If you confess, if you believe, if I confess, if I believe, we will be saved. Same construct as what he says in chapter 6 of Exodus. You will be saved. I will redeem you. Verse 10, for the, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. You believe in Christ Jesus, you will not be put to shame. I don't care how humiliating the situation might feel. I don't care how helpless or hopeless you might think that things are. The bleak outcome that you see on the horizon. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Red or yellow or black or white or brown or purple or green or Asian or Hispanic or African American. All who call on Him will be saved. Verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Move now to Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19. You're at the end of the rope. You have no idea what... What am I going to do? Where, where's it going to come from? I, I, have no, I have no idea how I'm going to provide, how my needs are going to be met. It's not a promise about wants, but it is a promise about needs. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will provide. Economy looks bad. People letting you go. Having to apply for the payroll protection program. You know, they sent you home and it, it seemed real easy for them to send you home. And they haven't really asked you back yet. And, and other companies are starting to come back. Is my job going to go away? You know, I had a 401k that was just beautiful. It was soaring. And now all of a sudden it's bottomed out. How am I going to supply my need when it comes time to retire? What's going to happen? How are my needs going to be met? God will supply every need for His children. James chapter 1. Turn with me to James chapter 1. Move a few books down. Right after Hebrews, you find the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, God, I just don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the right decision is. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't understand the situation. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let them ask in faith. 
without doubting. Be encouraged that when we double down on our faith, God doubles down on meeting our needs. Granting us the wisdom that we seek. God, I I can't understand Your Word. I can't understand the world. I can't understand the difference between the statement, Black Lives Matter, and the organization, Black Lives Matter. I don't know what's going on every time I turn my TV on. There's a new protest. There's a new riot. There's a new problem. How how do I represent You in this world? How do I profess faith in You? How do I continue to believe and And tell people about your kingdom and your goodness when nobody seems to trust anybody. I don't understand if any of us lacks wisdom. Let us go to the Lord and ask in faith. And when we ask in faith, He pours out without withholding a drop. He makes sure every drop of that wisdom comes out of that cup. He doesn't let one drop hang back. But you've got to ask without doubting. You've got to trust that God will give you the wisdom you seek. James chapter 4. I just feel so far away from God. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I don't know what to do. God seems so far from me. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the adversary, and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If I draw near to God, God will draw near to me. Which, which begs for a very difficult, introspective kind of evaluation. If I feel so far from God, am I really submitting to Him? If I feel like God is just miles and miles away, and I can't reach or get to where He is, is that on God, or is that on me? Am I in the pattern of the Israelites that things are just too hard in Egypt and I can't see God or His promises. Did God hide Himself? Or am I really submitting to God? Am I really resisting the devil? Am I really drawing near to God? Because the promise that will always ring true, when we humbly draw near to God, God will always draw near to us. Always. Just the last one, the twelfth one. First John chapter one, verse nine. Every time we take communion together, we read this verse. It's one of the most comforting and reassuring promises in all of Scripture. First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. We'll forgive our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, if we have sin in our heart and our life that would keep us out of heaven, that would keep us out of the presence of a holy and perfect God, all we have to do is confess our sin before Him. And He is faithful and just and promises that He will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And He will forgive our sins, our debts, and wipe the slate clean. Folks, I promise there's, there's hundreds of other promises in Scripture that you can take to the bank. You can know that God is there for you. Or this morning we can look back at God the same way that the Israelites looked at Moses. And they said, Mo, buddy, we just don't see it. 
I just can't get there with you, Moses. Folks, if we trust in the promises of God, the mighty acts and the miraculous works of the Lord will follow. The Israelites slowly began to trust. And as God continued to work miracles among them, they trusted more. He pulled them further out of that discouragement, further out of that darkness, further out of that depression and despair, and reminded them, I will redeem you. I will bring you out of this slavery. I will buy you back. I will take you to a new land, and I'll give it to you as your possession. I will fight for you. You need only to wait. Church, this morning, are we going to trust the promises of God? Or are we going to crawl back into the dark pits of despair and think that the world's over and there's no hope and the world's going crazy and there's nothing we can do? Where can we turn? I encourage us this morning, turn to the promises of God. And John 3.16 is a promise and it's as true as it's ever been. This morning, if you've never done what we read in John 3.16, in Romans 10, if you've never believed, if you've never confessed, if you've never taken it to heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He died our death, He died your death and my death, so that if we would confess our sins, And confess that Jesus is Lord. He would forgive us of our sins. And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Or maybe you need to to stand and make a statement. And unite yourself with Jesus through His death and resurrection. The way that Nate Wallace did yesterday. Maybe you need to be buried like Jesus was buried. And raised like Jesus was raised. So that you can proclaim to the world. I've done John 3.16. I believe John 10 and I've confessed it. I've done 1 John 1, 9. I confessed all my sin and they were washed and I was made new and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If that's not you this morning, I pray that you would turn your life over to Christ. Follow Him. As we've said for weeks, don't just make it a hobby. Make it your whole life. Let Scripture encourage you. Don't believe CNN. Don't believe Fox News. Get off of social media. Believe the promises of God. They're there for us. In a world where we don't know what information to trust, trust the promises of God. They have never failed. And they will not fail you now. Lean on Him. Lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight our paths. Will you pray with me? Father, thank You for the promises in Your Word. The hope and the light of the Gospel and salvation, the redemption that is possible. Lord, thank You. You should have killed us, but You kept us. You should have just started over, but You decided to pay our debt at the highest of costs. You offer us such promises of hope and redemption and peace. Lord, You tell us that You'll never leave us, never forsake us, that You'll be with us even to the end of the age. God, help us to lean 
on Your Word and the encouragement that You've given us there. Lord, help us to be a light and to be salt in these tumultuous times, Lord. God, for anyone who is here or listening online, if they don't know what it means to follow You, move on their hearts. I'm challenging you right now, wherever you are, online or here in this congregation, let the encouragement, let the Spirit of God move in your heart. And in a few moments, if you're here, you come down and you say, I have not believed in the promises of God and I need Jesus in my life. I want to follow Jesus. If you're online, you find a way to comment or call and just all you got to say is Jesus. If you just say the word Jesus in the comments, we'll know what you mean. Lord, move on our hearts. Father, for those who do know you, for those of us who believe in you, Lord, but maybe we're stuck in a season of discouragement. Move in power. I encourage you right now, church, that if if you are discouraged, bring that discouragement to these steps and leave it on this altar. And get up off your knees trusting in the promises of God. Or maybe you just need to hit your knees right there in the pew where you are. Father, would you move amongst us so that we as your people would respond in obedience to your spirit, whatever that looks like for each individual. We love you, Lord. Help us and cause us to respond to your word, to your goodness. As we lean on you, our Father in heaven.